0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, as we were finishing up our church preparations and cleaning day, I was talking with Deacon Wyatt and with Jacob and Liz in my office. And I informed Deacon Wyatt that we do some things a little backwards here at St. Matthias. I told him normally, if the bishop were present at the cathedral, he would preach on Easter and Christmas. But since his passing a couple of years ago, we've now flipped things upside down. And the new practice is to have the deacon preach on Sunday morning on Easter. (laughs) And since this is Deacon Wyatt's first Easter with us and his families, I said, that it was now his turn to jump into the pulpit this morning and to bring us the Easter message. Now, Deacon Wyatt, being somewhat quick-witted, said, Sure, no problem. I'll just pull up an old sermon from a well-known theologian of ages past and preach that. But you should know it would be in an hour and 15-minute sermon. So if you don't mind that, I'm game. So, (laughs) with that being said, and as you can see, Deacon Wyatt is not preaching today. (laughs) I figured that introduction would set me off on the right foot this morning. And knowing that I won't be preaching for an hour and 15 minutes, y'all might be more inclined to say after the service, Pastor, great sermon today. (laughs) Of course, we all know length and time isn't the essence of a great sermon, nor is the purpose to garner compliments after the service. Rather, the purpose of each and every message is that which is proclaimed within the message. Whether it's a five-minute meditation or a short homily or even an hour and 15 minutes, the essence should always be Jesus Christ and your life with God because of Jesus Christ. That is the core of the proclamation of the gospel and of every preacher. That is the center of all we do. That is the essence of our very life. Our life as it is found in Jesus Christ. And that is most especially true as we celebrate this special day together today. So this morning on Easter Sunday, I want to start by drawing your minds to the famous story written by Charles Dickens titled A Christmas Carol. Many of us may know the story. Ebenezer Scrooge is a hard-nosed, stubborn man who doesn't care for those around him. And as the story goes, Scrooge is visited by a ghost of Christmas past, then by a ghost of Christmas present, and then by a ghost of, of Christmas future. And through these three visits, Scrooge gains a perspective, and his life is changed completely for the better. Now, I know that today is not Christmas. I don't have my sermons and seasons mixed up. But in a similar fashion as to Dickens' masterpiece, the celebration of Easter can be seen as Easter past, Easter future, yet we mustn't forget Easter present. Today we gather on the most holy of days. We call it Easter, which has a, a mixed consensus as to why we call it that. But whatever the thoughts behind the name Easter, what is not unmistakable is calling it by the historical fact the day of resurrection. For on this day, we celebrate the day that, that Christ burst forth from the grave as one who was victorious over death. There is a story that says a man in the early church was sentenced to the death of a martyr. A martyr is one who is killed for the sake of his or her faith in Jesus Christ. And as this man was was being led out to his death, it said that fellow Christians had gathered to watch from a hillside nearby. And as the man was asked for his parting words before being killed, he proclaimed these words, He is risen! And to this shout, all the Christians positioned nearby responded to him, He is risen indeed! And we proclaim those same words today, nearly 2,000 years later. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. We were told in our gospel lesson this morning from St. John chapter 20 that Mary Magdalene and Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, which we presume to be St. John himself, came and found the tomb empty. Matthew and Luke and Mark, well, they record some other details for us, such as other individuals being present. They record an angel speaking to them and so on. But the most important aspect is that Jesus was resurrected. He was not stolen, as the Jews or the Romans may have thought. He was not mistakenly buried in some other tomb. Jesus was risen. He was alive following his death. The brutal scourging, the perpetual mocking and deriding, the embarrassment of this so-called king had ended in a tomb. And for three days it was perceived that Jesus was not who he proclaimed himself to be. He seemed to be somewhat special. He seemed to have wise words. He seemed to work great works and great miracles. But in the end, Jesus was just an ordinary man. In like manner as Shakespeare would write, if you prick us, do we not bleed? So Christ seemed to be just that, human, just like the rest of us. A man who was born, who lived, who died. And indeed he was. He was more than that, but he was definitely fully human. The Jews and the Romans had snuffed out his light. They had extinguished the hope of the people who had chanted, Hosanna in the highest, Lord, save us. At least for three days, that was true. For three days, from, from Friday until Sunday morn, which spans three days according to the hours of Jewish time, this man among men, he was now dead. But that resurrection morn, that eighth day, which expresses the first day of a new creation, on that eighth day, Sunday morning, the tomb was empty when the women arrived. And the angel's message to them is profound. Luke tells us that the women came to the tomb unsuspecting of the resurrection. They came with spices ready to continue the preparations of the dead. But there they encountered the empty tomb. And the angel said this, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now, I'm not completely convinced that the women who came to the tomb or the disciples which they told or or any of jesus's followers quite understood the implication of that angelic statement at least not until jesus comes into their midst that evening we're told and we're going to hear this for our gospel lesson next week that they were afraid now why were they afraid it was because of their fear of the jews They were afraid because Jesus's body was missing and they would be blamed for Jesus's disappearance. It's like that couple that had two mischievous little boys, ages eight and ten. And at their wits end, the parents contacted a clergyman who had been successful in rehabilitating bad children in the past. So the clergyman asked to see the boys individually and the eight year old was sent to meet with him first The clergyman sat the boy down and asked him sternly, Where is God? And the boy made no response, so the clergyman repeated the question in even a sterner tone. Where is God? And again, the boy made no attempt to answer, so the clergyman raised his voice even more, and he shook his finger in the boy's face, and he said, Where is God? And at that, the boy bolted from the room, ran directly home, and locked himself in the closet. his older brother noticed this and he came to the closet and he asked what happened and the younger brother replied we're in big trouble this time god is missing and they think we did it (laughs) no one in their right mind would think jesus was raised from the dead and the natural accusation would be to think that his followers his disciples had done something so the disciples locked themselves in a room They huddled together, both in fear, but also in sorrow. In fear of the Jews, but in sorrow for their loss of Jesus. Yet while they're huddled together, enclosed in a tomb of their own, suddenly Jesus comes into their midst, and once convinced that this is indeed Jesus, their sorrows turn to joy. And might I suggest that the sorrow turned to joy wasn't about all the theological stuff. I mean, I'd be pretty sure they weren't thinking about the, the theological ramifications of the resurrection of the dead in that moment. They were simply overjoyed that their master had returned to them. But it would be after that, that suddenly all the other thoughts would come to mind. It would be after this past event of Jesus's resurrection that the future ramifications would be considered. Easter passed has ramifications and meaning long into the future, even into eternity. If Jesus was dead and alive again, what does that mean? Does that mean that we too would rise again? Isn't death conquered by Jesus' resurrection so that we now have a certainty that death will not be our end? We often say that there's two certainties in life, taxes and death. And well, only one is a real certainty, and that's taxes. We all just had tax day earlier this week. But what isn't a certainty is death. Death of this body, yes. But eternal death, absolutely not. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is the first fruits, or the very first, of the resurrection. And if he is the first fruits, then all others who are found in him will also be resurrected. St. Paul was confident of this very hope. In First Corinthians 15, St. Paul speaks at length about this fact. But in short, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Thus, the Easter past becomes for us... An Easter future, for in Christ we shall all have eternal life. And we all take great comfort in this. We sing our hymns today about it. Mighty victim from the sky, hell's fierce fierce powers beneath thee lie. Thou hast conquered in the fight, thou hast brought us life and light. We'll sing our hymns again next week about it. The strife is o'er, the battle done, the victory of life is won. And what greater comfort is there as we deal with the death of a loved one or as we lie on our own deathbeds than to know that without a doubt, we shall have eternal life in the presence of God through Jesus Christ. I think I've only shared this story with my brother. After my father, Bishop Grove, passed a couple of years ago, I remember driving home. And my mom had called me over in the morning hours of Thanksgiving Day and he t- she told me to come over. And I only lived a mile away at the time, so I quickly told Liz I had to go and I drove over. Jacob and Ellen, they were already there. And as I entered the bedroom, I soon, soon learned that he had died. And after the initial reaction of it all, and after calling Bishop Sutton to tell him and to, to start the whole process of, of caring for the church and the denomination at large during this time, I drove home to tell my wife and my kids. As I drove down the street, alone in my car, filled with an overwhelming sense of sadness and sorrow, I can remember hearing his voice saying repeatedly, It's all good, son. I'm okay. And me responding aloud in the car to no one else there, I know you are, Dad. And I know that's not very theological, but it's very real life. Death is overcome. Heaven's gates are open to us. It's all good. And we take comfort in that. And many of you have experienced that same kind of thing. Some of you know that personally. Your parents have passed. Your spouses have passed. Perhaps even your children have passed. And this reality is what makes it easier on us who grieve in those moments. It is what gives us strength to say to a passing loved one, it's okay to go. It is that comfort, that hope in the midst of grief that comes from Easter future. Jesus rose from the dead, and because Jesus rose from the dead, we are assured that we who are found in him shall rise to the life immortal. But now we must return from Easter past we must return from Easter future and we must consider Easter present. For Easter is more than simply saying death is overcome by Jesus coming out of the tomb. Easter is more than simply saying someday in the future I'll be in heaven. Easter is not just about a past reality or or a future possibility or a future hope. Easter has a now. Easter has a present. As one article author wrote, what good is the resurrection of Christ from the dead if today we do no more than to call to mind what happened 2,000 years ago? What will we do with Easter present? What will we do now with the empty tomb of the past and with the heavenly habitations awaiting us in the future? What is Easter present? Now you might expect me to say something like, holy living. You might expect me to say something like serving him. You might expect me to say something like worshiping him on a regular basis. You might expect me to say something like telling others about Jesus and being his witness. You might expect me to say all sorts of things like that, which have to do with behavior and, and with personal testimony. And without a doubt, the call of being committed to God has to do with living and behaving in a certain way. God indeed calls us to holiness. Be holy as I am holy is God's demand of us. But I don't want you to think that the Easter present is simply one of change your behavior. That change isn't the purpose of Easter present. It is the result of Easter present. And I'll say that again. The changes which occur in the Christian life is not the purpose of Easter present. It's the result of Easter present. So what is the message of Easter present? And might I suggest it is simply the message of peace. Think again of Easter past. What does Jesus say to the disciples when they're huddled together in fear that first Easter night? Jesus comes to them and his words are peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Think again of Easter future. How is such described in the revelation of St. John and in the teachings of St. Paul? Is it not utter peace? Isn't the very name attributed to God's dwelling place, both in heaven and on earth, the name Jerusalem, which means city or abode of peace? And think about this also, the very peace of our Savior that he had even during his crucifixion. I mean, Jesus agonized in prayer the night before. Jesus, no doubt, had to cry out in pain as he was whipped and scourged. Jesus had to feel the whole weight of suffering on him as he carried that cross. But I have to say, Jesus was at peace on the cross. Only one who is at peace can do and say as he did in that time to the penitent thief. Today, you will be with me in paradise. To his mother and to the beloved disciple, the crucified son says, Behold thy mother, behold thy son. To the Father in heaven, on behalf of all the people, the very people who put him on that cross, our Savior says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the man who, despite all that happened to him, understood the peace of being in relationship with the Father and accomplishing His will for mankind. You see, peace isn't about the absence of war. Peace isn't about the absence of conflict. Peace isn't about the absence of hardships or the absence of struggles or even the absence of tough situations and circumstances in life. Peace is about an inner harmony. Peace is to not be at war within yourself. Peace is about a confidence of your relationship with God. Peace is about letting go of the guilt that you feel for your sins past because Christ has forgiven you. Peace is about your will being formed and moved by the will of God for your life. Peace is about knowing God loves you and desiring to live for him. In a very short summary statement, peace is about oneness with God. You are at one with Him. Not in the past only, not in the future only, but right here, right now, in the present. Friends, that's what we celebrate today. That is the message we hear Easter past, Easter present. Easter future you are at one with God in and through the death and the resurrection of our only Savior Jesus Christ so with one more opportunity to proclaim it to you and to hear your joyous response let me say it once more he is risen risen amen We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.